Welcome to the Colonial Church STA podcast. The vision of Colonial Church is to build an exciting, vibrant, Bible-based church right here in the heart of St. Augustine, Florida. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. We, we are just so proud. Chantal and I are so proud of what these guys, Matt and Jill, um, have built uh, with, with the team and with you guys you know, I, I prophesied in the first service, so it's kind of like a re-prophecy, but I wanted you guys to hear it because I felt the Spirit of God was speaking through me, that this church is, is only in seed form. And I think for some of you who've come in, maybe you've come from a smaller church, you're like, wow, look at the size. This, this isn't even, the fruit hasn't even emerged yet on the tree. It's still in seed. And um, this will be an uncomfortable church. So if you are looking for a comfortable sort of, warm, white, middle-class church, you're in the wrong place. This is going to be an uncomfortable church, and this is going to cause the enemy havoc in this region. Um, this is going to be a risk-taking church. There is a spirit of risk on your pastors. Chantal and I, we get to travel um, quite extensively and go to different churches and see what God is doing in various parts of the world. But I think there's something on this church of risk. That's the word I have, risk, risk and seed. And Matt and Jill will continually take risks, and it will be uncomfortable. And guess what? Not all the risks are going to work, because that's what risk takers do. They take risks. Not every risk is going to pay dividends, but the majority of them will. They're going to attempt things that have never been attempted before. They're going to say things that have never been said before. They're going to preach things that have never been preached before in this region. And I want to encourage you to stay on the bus. Stay on the bus. It's going to get rocky at times. It's going to get bumpy but you will look back and see the hand and the goodness of God over this church. And so we couldn't be more proud of what uh, these guys are achieving in 12 months. I mean, most churches in 20 years would be happy with this kind of, but this is 12 months. That's why I say it's only in seed form. Okay, so don't, don't get settled in your seat because it will move. Don't get settled in this building because it will go. Don't get settled. Everything will just keep evolving and moving. Friend, uh, change is your friend. Stay flexible. Stay open. Um, I'm a runner, not because I necessarily enjoy running. I'm, I'm training to do seven marathons in seven days in April, which is just ridiculous. Um, so I did a 20-mile run yesterday, and I'm feeling really... Uh, my muscles are a little tired today, but the reason I'm saying that is I felt today, as I was in the bathroom of all places, I felt like this, when I run, one of my, I have a running coach, and he says, John, you have to keep replenishing yourself with water every 15, 20 minutes. You have to go. I feel like St. Augustine is absolutely dry and is, is gasping for water gasping. It's been, I don't know anything about this region at all, apart from the brief history lesson that Stelf gave me last night. Um, but I feel like this whole region is gasping for water. But it's a spiritual water. It's living water. And I feel like if you guys just keep building it, people will come. I mean, the old saying, build it and they will come. But as you just keep building it, people are so thirsty that they know this is a well of water, of living water. And so people are just going to keep coming. I see queues down the street. As you, just stay healthy. Healthy things grow. Keep the spirit, the body of the church healthy, and it will continue to grow because people are so dry and thirsty and hungry for something else. You, this will become a literally a hub of nutrition, a hub of spiritual water, a hub of life for this region. And we will be cheering you on all the way from Norwich, England. 
And in the first service, there was a Norwich City fan. And that is, um, they're always great to meet. We only have three in America. So it was, <laughs> it was great. So we we just so privileged to be here. And thank you for hosting us. And we've been hosted so well. They took us to Denny's last night. And we had a, <laughs> we had a great, we had a feast there. Why is that funny? That's good American food, isn't it? I enjoyed it. There's no, let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with Denny's. And they're taking us to Chili's later. And um, I think we'll have an Applebee's tomorrow. So uh, it's going to be a great, great few days here. Should we pray? Should we get spiritual? Or should we keep having fun? Oh, no, okay, again, let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. Your spirit is here. We can feel that well of life, that, that living water is in the room, Father. And so for many of us, Father, including me, I've come, Lord. And even though I'm speaking, I want to touch from Jesus today. Lord, I want to feel full up of your spirit, of your word. Lord, I want to be full up so I can go out and give out. And so I pray today, as, as, as your prophet said, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it is by a move of your spirit. So I pray for a wave and a move of your spirit right now in the room. Lord, I pray for the kids as they engage with you. They'll have a, their, own, uh, their own move of Jesus, Lord. Lord, I just pray today wouldn't be another message, another sermon, another podcast, but today there would be a mighty, mighty, mighty move of your spirit in this land, in this region. Any of you believe it, say amen. 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 All right. You can sit down. I've lost the microphone in my jacket. Thank you. Are you ready for the word? Fantastic. We'll be out of here by three. Absolutely guarantees. You're going to love this. I wonder how you choose to see life. A brand new year, the outset of 2019. But there's two ways you can go into a new year. You can go into it with the lens, looking through the lens of hope or looking at it through the lens of despair. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty in our world right now. There's a lot of uncertainty in America right now. I was catching up on some American politics yesterday and so much political uh, despair. And, you know, for, for Chantal and I and for, for, for Europe and Brexit and all that's going on in our country right now, we're heading into what some would call a political storm and financial meltdown. And But there's some really good news today is that we have a Heavenly Father, Almighty God, Abba Father, my daddy, who is fiercely committed to my future and committed to your future. And there's, uh, there's, a, great, there's a great word in Jeremiah 29 11. If you've been hanging around church for long enough, you'll know this verse. It says, For I know the thoughts and, I have and the plans I have towards you in 2019, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. But you know what? Just as much as Almighty God is committed to our future, there's also an enemy out there who's committed to your future. His name is the devil. We don't give him much time because he doesn't need any time. But it does, Jesus is speaking about him. He says this. He says, the thief or the enemy does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And let me tell you, there is a God out there who's committed to your future, but the enemy is also committed to our future. It's a strange thought. 
And the main way that people's lives are destroyed, the, the main way that the enemy destroys people's lives is this. He removes hope. Solomon said, the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, he said, when you remove, when you remove hope, the heart, the body becomes sick. But a desire fulfilled, hope fulfilled is a tree of life. I was preparing this message uh, a while back for our, our church family back in Norwich. And as I was preparing on the Saturday night, just flicking through my notes, I had the news on the, the, on, on the TV in front of me and it came on that there was a terrorist attack in London. London's just an hour and a half down the road from us. And a, and, and a car, a truck had driven in to a load of civilians on a bridge. Many people killed. Many of you have remembered that story. In that moment, I literally felt sick watching these images. And as a country, you've experienced attacks of, the similar, of, of, of similar variety. And how do you feel in that moment? You feel sick, you feel despair, and you can relate to what Solomon was saying. You know, the majority of people in this country, the majority of people in St. Augustine are living in sickness and despair. Why? Because they're living without hope. You know, one thing I love about this church, the spirit of this church, when I stepped into Colonial Church, is this is a church that's committed to bringing hope to this region. And depression, anxiety, stress, mental health issues, they are on the rise all over the world. Why are they on the rise? Because hope is being removed from the world. People are living without hope. People are living in despair. And the world is desperately looking for some hope. And you know, we can look for hope in so many things. You can look for hope in sport. Has anyone ever followed a sports team and you end up in despair? <laughs> or you Jacksonville Jaguars, you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Jobs. Has anyone ever kind of hench their bets you're going to get a job? You're going to get a promotion and it hasn't happened. I remember when I was just 17 years old, I went for my first job interview at McDonald's. I mean, everybody gets a job at McDonald's, apart from me. I went for the interview, then I got a letter three days later to say, Dear Mr. Norman, unfortunately you've been unsuccessful. I mean, who can't get a job at Macca's? And they gave me a Big Mac voucher as like compensation. True story, just a couple of weeks later, I got a job at Burger King. They accepted me. And I spent a year of my life flipping whoppers. But anyway, that's for a different message. What about relationships? Anyone thought, she's the one for me, he's the one for me. And then the date didn't work out. The phone call didn't go the way you planned. I remember when I was just 16 years old, I, I'd never dated a girl. And they cha they'd been chasing me. It was, I was, literally, it was, it was hard work just staying single. But <laughs> what are you laughing? And I, it was Valentine's Day, and I went into the classroom. There it was, an envelope with my name on it. This was the breakthrough, the moment that I'd been praying for, fasting for, believing God for. This was my moment. And I opened the card, and ripped it out as quickly as possible and said, said these words. It said, Dear John, whew, roses are red. They sell those here, eh? Umbrellas get lost and so should you. All my love, Lisa Greengrass. She'd even put her name in it. And that was my first experience 
of rejection. Anyway, I moved to Australia, and my wife, my current wife, Chantelle, she saw me, she chased me, she hunted me, and for two years, um, and eventually I said yes. Who believes that? Who thinks it could have been the other way around? Yeah. If you look at, by the way, when we walk through malls, malls like shopping centers, people look at me and look at her, and they think two things. He's either got a lot of money, or there must be a God. And then people get saved because they realize I haven't got much money. So if you're looking for hope today, just my wife is enough to give anyone hope in this room. But how easy it is to lose hope. I want to speak a word of hope into Colonial Church. I want to speak a word of hope into St. Augustine and this region today. And uh, there was a young Bible, a young Bible, a young leader in the Bible called David. And he's my favorite Bible character. Anyone else can relate to David? He's the guy who does great things, messes up, gets up again, and it's just like this, just round and round. That's, that's my life. And so I can, I can relate a lot to David. He kills a bear, kills a lion, kills a nine-foot giant called Goliath, and then messes it all up with Bathsheba, but just keeps getting up again. So I kind of like this guy. Now, Israel are at war, and David uh, is right in the thick of the battle. The Israelites, are, they're fighting the Philistines. And David receives an email on the front line. He gets a text message. All right, it was a pigeon. And this isn't an email that he expected. This is an email of disappointment, of tragedy. Now, some of you are going to be able to relate to this because he gets the email, he gets the phone call to tell him that his brother, the the Israelites are fighting in various different areas of Israel, and his brother has been killed in battle. And in that moment, David, he's full of fear. He was close to his brothers. He's lost hope and he lets out this honest cry. It's a vulnerable cry from his heart. Some of you have received that phone call that you lost your job. You've been retrenched. You didn't get the promotion. Husbands walked out on you. You've had that disappointment. You've received the news. And David lets out this heart's cry. And this is, we're just going to just zoom in on this one verse just for this, just for this afternoon. It says this, I would have lost hope unless I had believed that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Maybe you came to Colonial Church today and like David, you've received bad news this week. You've had a tough start to 2019. Maybe for someone you came and you said, God, if you don't speak to me today, I'm done with church. I'm done with faith. I'm done with it all. But God, if you are real, maybe you have sent this crazy Gordon Ramsay looking guy over here. (laughs) Or Rod Stewart, I get them both. And maybe God, you have a word for me. I believe today this word of at least one or two people To say, God, I am going to hold on to hope. I want to talk a message. It's titled, Hope is on the Way. Hope is on the way. I believe this is the year of hope for Colonial Church. I believe it's the year of hope for your marriage. It's a year of hope for your business. This is the year of hope. And hope is on the way. You see, if we we remove hope, we become sick. So we get the answer, how to hold on to to hope in a world which offers very little hope. Three things. Number one is this. I want to encourage you to take notes. Maybe, you, maybe your life's great right now, but let me tell you, the phone could ring tomorrow like it did for David. I encourage you to take notes. Jot them down your iPad, your phone, piece of paper, if anyone knows what that is anymore. Number one, 
hope in God's word. Hope in God's word. David said this, unless I had believed. You know, this book, this Bible, this is still the number one best-selling book in the world. So far today, over five trillion copies have ever been sold or distributed. Five trillion. That's a thousand billion times five. That's a, who knows that's a big number. A big number. Now, there is a reason that this book is still selling more than any other book, more than Harry Potter, more than any other book there, this, this book is selling. You know why? Because it's alive. Because it's still giving people hope today in a world which offers a little hope. We live in a world, a postmodern world, that has no interest in truth. But we can still hold on to the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is that God's word still heals. God's word still delivers. God's word still brings hope into people's homes, into their families today. You know, it's good to read the newspaper. I think it's good to keep up to date with current affairs and to find out what's happening around the world. Let me tell you, for every global newspaper, the stats are the same. 70 negative reports to every one positive. 70 to 1 ratio. We feed this. We feed this, and we wonder why we're living in fear and depression and anxiety, because whatever you feed will grow. If you feed your faith, your faith will grow. If you feed your fears, your fears will grow. And let me tell you, we spend a couple of minutes in this and half an hour in that. And we wonder why we're sitting at home. Let me tell you, fear is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but you'll never go anywhere. You'll just rock in worry and fear about what could happen tomorrow. You see, the media fills people with fear. David said this, though. He said, I've received some bad news, but I'm going to continue to believe. Where does my belief come from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Faith to believe again. Faith for breakthrough. Faith for miracles. Faith for the impossible. I'm going to share a secret with you. I'm going to share two secrets today, and I'm going to share the first one right now. Every day is a big day in the Norman family. We've got to get the kids to school. We've got to get to work. We've got meetings to attend to. And guess what? Every day in your life is a big day. So our lives are no different. We've got to get to board meetings. We've got to have FaceTime calls. We've got to do a whole lot of things. There's a whole lot of things that has to take place. Unless it's vacation, life is full. Life is full. But there's one meeting that's more important than any other meeting of my day. I built a little garden room in, my, in, in the bottom of our uh, garden where we live. And every day I go into the garden room before I head into work, before we do the kids' runs, before we do anything. And I put the kettle on. By the way, a kettle is something that would really work nicely in America. They would, just kind of seem to find one. But... Um, <laughs> I have this meeting, it's called Tea with God. Tea with God. By the way, it works with coffee. But the queen drinks tea, and so I drink tea too. And by the way, she sends her love. <laughs> she, we were with her over Christmas, and she misses you guys. And Some of you are thinking, is he serious? <laughs> no, Lizzie's in, she's in a good place. 
she's with the corgis and just hanging out. So we have, we have tea with God. And tea with God is what sets us up for the rest of the day. It is the most important meeting that you can have in your whole day. You see, if I don't have tea with God, it doesn't kind of work with my kids, with my wife, with my business, with church. Nothing figures out until I put God first. That's what Matthew said in the gospel. It says, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. Just put God first. And by the way, it's not about quantity of time. It's about quality of time. Because some days I might only have 10 minutes. Other days I might have half an hour. It's not about that. It's not about how much time I spend with my wife. It's what I do with the time I spend with my wife. And it's about that intimacy with Christ. And it's, you know, Psalm 91, David's speaking again. He says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the mighty. I'll say of the Lord is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. If we are going to do life well, it begins with Jesus. If we're going to do our day well, it begins with Jesus. And you say, well, I don't know how to read my Bible. I don't know how to pray. Let me give you a really simple format to pray. Start with the Lord's Prayer. The disciples were stuck. They're like, God, I don't know how to pray. I meet so many new Christians there. I don't know how to pray. Read the Lord's Prayer. That's a great starting point. And I don't know how to read my Bible. Open the Psalms and just read one Psalm. Read just one Psalm every day and say the Lord's Prayer. You know, that will get your day off to a good start. There's some great reading plans on the Bible app. There's some great reading plans around. Find a, a, take time out. Have some tea. Have some coffee. Have a Red Bull. I don't suggest you go any stronger. But <laughs> take some time out. Because what it does is it feeds your faith. And every day you get to choose to feed your fear or you get to choose to feed your faith. And every day, like David, unless I had believed. How do we hold on to hope? Number one, we've got to hope through God's word. Number two, is this helping anyone? It is good. It's really good. I'm just joking. I'm preaching good today, by the way. <laughs> Number two, we've got to hope through our confession. Hope through our confession. David says this. He said, I would see the goodness of the Lord. Now, this is an interesting line in this verse. If you just received a text message or an email to say that you'd lost a loved one, a brother, a sister, a mum or dad, who knows that the last thing you'd be talking about is the goodness of the Lord? Well, maybe you spiritual people here, you would be like, God is good all the time. I don't think I'd be talking about God's goodness if I just experienced loss. But here's what David teaches us. David confesses the goodness of the Lord, even though he's not experiencing the goodness of the Lord. And one of the biggest challenges that we face as believers in Christ is to keep confessing God's goodness when we're not experiencing God's goodness. Some of you, you came into church today and you were carrying bad news. You were carrying challenges and yet you still had your hands up in worship and you were still singing about the favor and the goodness of God. That's heartfelt worship. And David said, I will see the goodness of the Lord. I'm not seeing the goodness of the Lord right now, but I'm confessing the goodness of the Lord, even though I'm not seeing it. One of the questions as pastors that we get asked more than any other, and I know your pastors get asked this question too, and you'll get asked this question at work and at uni and at school. And it's this, and I'm going to give you the answers today. Why do bad things happen to good people? Has anyone ever been asked that question? 
Just the two of us. Okay, I'm going to try that again. Who's ever been asked as a Christian, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, you're going to be glad you came today because I'm going to give you the answer. Are you ready? Write this down. It's deep. It's theological. It's going to help you. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. In fact, the answer is none of us know. By the way, never buy a book off an author who claims to know the answer because he's just fooling you. Life's not about understanding. Life's about trusting. If there's a conclusion we can reach is life is not about understanding. It's about trusting. The beginning of the year, some of you might know Chantel's story. She, she grew up in East Los Angeles. We met in Australia. We moved to the UK, and that's where we got married. We've been living there for the last 12 years, and she disconnected from her real father for many years. And um, just two or three years ago, she'd reconnected. He was an ex-gangster and was beginning to rebuild a relationship. He, he'd abandoned her as a little girl, but she'd gone through a whole season of forgiveness and you know, reconciliation, and we'd even had a family day with him just a, a year ago before we'd received this phone call. Like David, last January, we, we received a phone call, and it was from uh, her sister to say that her dad had been shot dead in a drive-by shooting in, a, in, a, in, a, in East Los Angeles, and this is Chantel's story, but, you know, she's been on a whole journey this year of not understanding but trusting and she could spend her whole life trying to say, God, why did you allow this to happen? How come you allowed my dad to go through pain? How come we got back together and reconnected and then he was taken from me? But she made a decision. And as a family, we've had to go through this process that life is not about understanding. Life is about trusting. And this is going to help someone today. I want you to write this down. There will be some questions unanswered this side of eternity. We've got to get good with this. We have to get calm with this. We have to say, God, we are not God. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our our ways. And we have to trust God in the storm. We have to trust God. You know, your pastors have been through some similar things, some challenges uh, just after they got married. But they went for a season of trusting, not understanding. And if you can grasp the sovereignty of God, That God is at work even though it feels like everything is in a mess. And David is asking the similar question. I didn't like tests growing up in school. I hated exams. Did anyone like exams, by the way? Okay, we're all on the same page. In fact, rooms like this bring back horrid memories. Because it was rooms like this we sat testing. Is that right? And you'd come in and those individual tables and I was really poor at maths. I had to retake maths and um, I was in my maths GCSE exam and I was sitting there, I was 15 years old and the only exams I liked or even just a little was multiple choice because multiple choice, you had a chance. (laughs) You remember those ones? A, B, C, D or E, always choose C, Christ. It was always... It was always just, you know, see, if in doubt, Christ. Christ. So I'd always choose C, and I remember I was really stuck on this algebraic expression. And algebra's really helped me in my life, by the way. Just want to throw it out there. It's got me to where I am today, and it's been a real blessing. 
why don't they teach a thing in school called leadership? Why don't we do a whole year teaching students to be leaders? Wouldn't that be far more meaningful for society if we did leadership? Anyway, that's just my, I'll get onto that another time if they invite me back. Okay, so we're in the exam, we're doing maths, and I looked at the, the invigilator at the front, the teacher, and she looked at me, and she knew what I was thinking, I know what she was thinking. She was thinking, why haven't you revised? I can see you're stuck, and I'm not helping you. I was thinking, you wrote the exam, you could walk over here, just point at one of the the answers and help me. Here's the deal. If she'd have pointed at the answer, what would have happened? I wouldn't have learned. I wouldn't have grown. I wouldn't have gone through the pain and the process of failing to get up again, to pass. And here's what the Holy Spirit showed me. The teacher is always quiet during the test. The teacher is always quiet during the test. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I've for Chantel and I, when we've gone through some of the hardest, most painful days, moments of our life, it feels like God is nowhere to be seen. Can anyone relate to that? Not all the time, but it's like, God, where are you? God is not, God, by the way, God does not punish us with sickness. He does not punish us with death. God does not put that on us. But he allows us to go through certain things in our life to grow us. See, if that teacher had just given me the answer... Nothing would have changed in my life. But Chantel and I, we've gone through this season, this year, and we've gone stronger in our marriage, our relationships, our family life, because we've put our roots deeper in God, and we've come out the other side. And let me tell you, we're stronger. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And we're trusting God. Come on, if you're going to praise him, praise him. Don't give him a golf clap. Give him something worthy of his name. David's confession says, I would see. I don't understand right now, God, but I trust you. wonder what you're believing to see in your life right now. Last year, I was with my daughter, and on a Monday, we tried to have a daddy-daughter date, a date night or a daddy-daughter day. And I said to Miracle everywhere, I said, wait, wait. Our daughter's called Miracle. I said, Miracle, where would you like to go on a daddy-daughter date? And she said, I'd like to go to the forest, and I want to see a squirrel. <laughs> now, there's a good side of that and a bad side. The good side is it's economically friendly. Because <laughs> she could have said a theme park and a meal, but she said she wanted to go to a forest to see a squirrel. The challenging side of that was it wasn't squirrel season. Now, squirrels don't hibernate, but they do, they do go to sleep for long periods of time, and it wasn't the time of year where they're about. So I said to her, I said, Miracle, I said, um, we can definitely go to the forest, but I can't promise you a squirrel. She, and then she came back and she said, well, Daddy, you told me if we pray, God can do anything. She's six. I said, all right, we'll pray. So we get in the, we get in the forest. I said, God, thank you for bringing us in the forest. And right now, we want to see a squirrel. <laughs> because you're on the line, I'm on the line, and her faith's on the line. So we're all on the line unless you produce a squirrel. 30 minutes into the walk, no squirrel. And so I'm having this, and then she says to me, she said, Daddy, when is God sending the squirrel? I said, that's a good question. When are you sending you know, And I'm getting into this with God. Literally, a few moments later, this beautiful, big, gray squirrel appears right in front of us at head height. And she points at me and she says, See, Daddy? See, Daddy? God is real. Here's the deal. What's your squirrel? 
What are you not seeing at the moment, but you need to confess? You see, what you see and what you say need to be different. You not, might not be seeing the blessing of God on your business, but you've got to keep confessing the goodness of God on your business. You've got to keep speaking out what you're not seeing. You might be seeing sickness, but you've got to start speaking health over your family, over your, over your children. And by the way, God's not offended when you ask big. Oh, I can't ask God for that. He's not, he's not, he's not ready for that. God's ready for anything you throw at him. When I have tea with God, sometimes it's really quiet. And there's other times, let me tell you, I get pretty mad at him. I say, God, why have you allowed this to happen? God, I'm pretty frustrated about this. God can handle every frustration. He can handle every need. He can handle every human emotion. God can handle anything that you dare throw at him. But the thing is, the Bible says, cast your burden, your cares upon the Lord. He shall sustain us. You see, one promise from God overwrites a thousand negative reports. You've got to change your confession. When someone asks you how your day is, don't say, I'm not too bad. I'm full of life. I'm full of life. I'm alive. I'm blessed. I tell our church, stop being British. The British can be very cynical and negative. Say, don't be Debbie the Downer. Don't be negative Nigel. Be positive, Pete. Be someone who's full of life. And when you come near him, he's breeding the life of Christ. You know, one of the things we don't talk about in our church is unemployment. We ban the word. We're in transition. If you're unemployed right now, you see, unemployed is a full stop. Transition is a comma. God doesn't do full stops. He does commas. You are in transition. God has allowed you to transition out of a job because he is preparing something for you in the next season. So you do not speak it over yourself. I'm unemployed. No, you're not unemployed. You're in transition. Oh, I'm single. You're not single. Your partner's on the way. You just haven't set your wedding date yet. Oh, I'm getting married. I just haven't set the date yet. You don't need to give any more details. <laughs> Who's believing God to get married? Who's single? Oh, don't do that. Give it a big one. It's great. Have a look around. <laughs> if you're single... Sometimes you've got to do something different. I encourage you to go to Walmart this afternoon. Not to look for a partner in Walmart, by the way. That might not work out. We love Walmart, don't we? I've been driving around on those little scooters. You know those scooters in there? You can just sit on them and drive around. We don't have them in the UK. Absolutely brilliant. I was told they're for people who can't walk, but honestly, they work for me as well, and it's brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant, honestly. Things you guys come up with. And so go to Walmart and go to the photo aisle. You know those, those his and hers? It's a little doggy in church. I love it. It's a, um, a photo aisle and you can get picture frames and you, the, one with, the one with two pictures. His and hers. Why don't you get one of those? Put your selfie in one of them. You've got plenty of them, don't worry. Leave the other one empty, put it on your mantelpiece above the fire, put it in the kitchen. 
every day walk past and say this, my spouse is on the way. Sometimes you've got to speak it before you see it. You sit there going, oh, he's absolutely crazy. I know I'm crazy. But sometimes you've got to do something ridiculous for God to show up in the miraculous. You see, God is waiting for someone to build a boat in the desert before a flood comes. Someone God is waiting for, you're giving you a business idea and you've kept it in the study. You've kept it in the drawer. And God is saying, if you get it out, you're saying, well, God, I need the money before I start. And God's like, no, you need to start and I'll give you the money. You move, God will move. It is never the other way around. This church would have never started unless Matt and Jill said, you know what, we're going to move and we're going to trust God that he's going to follow. And he always follows. It's a game of chess, but the move first move is on you. And everything it takes, oh, I'm still single. Ask her for a date. Well, she might say no. Then what have you lost? It works. Isn't that right, Matt? The God of miracles. We've got to start confessing it. We stood up. We're believing God. In fact, I've got a picture. We, 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 our church has grown, and it's around 12, 13, 1400 every Sunday now. Over the last four years, it's grown, and we, we, we're believing God for a new building. And so we've, had, we've assigned an architect, and this is our new church home that we're believing to break ground for, for. And I think there's a couple more pictures that's coming up. Twelve hundred seater auditorium. Now that's going to cost eight million. Now I first announced that to the church. Literally, I felt people having heart attacks <laughs> because it's just not normal for the size of city we are. But God spoke to me. And I said, "By the way, this year we're going to take up an offering." And I believe God. This year we're going to see over a million pounds in the offering. And people look at me, going, "He's nuts." I got home. I said to Chantal, "I've just told the church we're going to get a million pounds in the offering." She's like, oh my word. I'm like, okay, what happens? What happens next? What's our next move now? What happens if God doesn't show up? What's my, you know, I've just, this is my squirrel. <laughs> Three days later, I got a phone call, got asked to a meeting. Got pulled into me and there was a business guy in there. He said, hey, just to let you know, we heard about your building. We've written you a check for a million pounds. Just hold it before you, just, just hold it. Then the offering came in that day. 820,000, 1.82 million pounds, one offering, one day. Where did that come from? Confession. You've got to move and God will move. Let me tell you, it's going to happen in this church because your pastors are risk-taking, faith-filled, faith-speaking leaders. As they step out, God is going to step in. You're going to see unprecedented miracles and breakthrough. This is a risk-taking, faith-filled church. Come on at the back. You can clap as well. Give us something the back two rows. Recently, I heard an interview with the, the father of tennis legends, Venus and Serena Williams, Richard Williams. Richard was asked, when did you start telling your, your daughters, Venus and Serena, that they would be world tennis champions? And there was a long pause. He said this. He said, when they were in their mother's womb. Every day, he would confess over them. I believe you're going to be tennis champions. 
I believe you're going to be cut above the rest. Tony, there's a, there's a power in what we speak. Be careful what you're saying over your children. Oh, you little fools. Oh, you're stupid. Let me tell you, when we confess those things, it's going into them. It's going into them. We've got to be careful what we say because our words, death and life, are in the power of the tongue. But faith has to be spoken. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. I want to share my final secret with you and we're going to bring this to a close. When the the keyboard starts going, you realize that's a signal to get off. We all experience bad news from time to time. We all have moments where things don't go as planned. And I want to share a secret what, we do, what to do when bad news arrives. We've come up, we've coined these four words for our church. In fact, we did a whole series, 20 messages on this. And we received some bad news at the beginning of the year. And this is how we went. This is how we handled it. You see, bad news is only bad news if you allow it to take up residence in your heart. That's when bad news becomes bad news, when it enters your life. But we have to be gatekeepers of our heart, which we have to stand up against bad news because the enemy, remember, he's trying to throw bad news at us. He's trying to disorientate our lives. And so we came up with this phrase, four words, this belongs to God. This belongs to God. And so every time bad news comes along, we say these words, this belongs to God. We got these little, we got these little stamps made with red ink because the ink represents the blood of Jesus. Every time a bill comes in that we've not budgeted for, every time something happens at church and we've, we've had health reports, people come in, just like you pray, we stamp on them. This belongs to God. Why? Because Jesus has already paid for your bad news, for your bad report, for your bad circumstances. He's already paid. And there is a power of doing something ridiculous. There is a power of stamping it. There is a power of stamping. This belongs to God. Everywhere you go, we stamp it. And we say, you know what, over our health report, some of, someone in here maybe been diagnosed with cancer, maybe been diagnosed and says, you know what, I can't cure cancer. I might be able to eat a little bit more healthy and drink a little bit more water. But here's the deal. God, you've paid for cancer and I'm stamping it with your precious blood. It belongs to you. You pay for it. And right now, I'm going to put it out of my mind. I'm going to put it out of my, my life because it belongs to you. We've had so many stories. We had one lady in our church. She came to me. She said, John, she said, I don't have money to pay for this. She said, I've got a court order. She said, I was speeding on the road and I didn't realize I was speeding. I got a a fine. I just do not have the money to pay for it. She said, will you get your stamp and stamp it? I said, of course I will. I said, did you know though you were speeding? She said, because by the way, this this doesn't just, you can't just do bad things and stamp it, all right? It doesn't work like that. I said, of course. And we stamped it and we prayed over it. This got, and it got, it got thrown out of court. She got a letter to say, hey, just to let you know, there's no longer a case. Because it belongs to God. And God is waiting for His children to fully trust Him. I do not understand, but God, I trust you. And one of the ways is to say, God, I'm going to stamp this. And once I've stamped it, God, it's into your care. 
So I'm pushing it out of my head. I'm pushing it out of my mind. I'm literally casting my cares and my concerns on you. Graffiti over your unexpected invoice, over your doctor's report, over your divorce report. And the next time someone shares some bad news with you, just say, can I just stop you a sec? Just before you continue, this belongs to God. Don't just entertain everybody's negativity. God, God, you taken this. You see, it's not, my, it's not bad news which defines my life, my day, my week. It's the good, the glorious news of Jesus Christ. It's His Word that fills us with hope. It's His Word which fills us with belief. Bad news belongs to God. Can we say that out loud? Because I think feel like some of us need to get that in our spirit today. Bad news belongs to God. Now can we say it with some faith? Not like we're on the 15th hole of a golf course. Bad news belongs to God. Come on, let's say it right now. I want you to confess it. In fact, why don't we stand? I want you to confess this right now over. I sense this. In fact, I sense that people are facing right now some uncertainty. Some people are facing this week some bad news. You've received an email, a letter. Who who, who is that? Who's received some bad news recently? Just lift up your hand. I'm going to pray all over this room. Just lift up your hand. Bad news belongs to God. Father, right now, I speak the goodness of the Lord. I confess your goodness over the situation. Someone's got their hand up near them, near you. Just place your arm on their, on their shoulder. We're, we're a family. We're going to pray right now. We're going to pray right now in Jesus' name. Father, I declare your goodness in the land of the living, Father God. Father, we are not going to lose hope. Whatever the enemy has planned for our lives, Father, right now, we cast it on you, Father God. That situation, and we say it together, bad news belongs to God. Come on, say it with some faith. Bad news belongs to God. It belongs to you because you pay for it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Number three, just stay standing. I'm going to wrap this up really quickly. David understood it was through God's word to hold on for hope, then through his mouth, through what he confessed. But then he says this, he says, in the land of the living. You've got a hope in God's word, hope with your mouth, and then you've got a hope with like-minded people. Land of the living. What is the land of the living? Land of the living is our associations. You see, I don't know about you, but when I received bad news, a few years ago I lost my dad from with leukemia and The thing I wanted to do is isolate myself. Does anyone want to isolate themselves when they're feeling down? That's one of the reasons that mental health is on the rise because of isolation. And so what the enemy's trying to do is isolate society. That's why people are so engaged on their phones, so engaged in box sets. People aren't going out of the house anymore because the enemy is trying to get people out of community. The enemy is so subtle in what he's trying to do. You see, when you're isolated, you'll hear things and see things that you'd never see in community. And the predator will always attack the sheep that's isolated. A predator will never attack the flock. So what's the enemy trying to do? He's trying to pluck sheep and isolate them. But David said, I'm in a season of mourning and loss, but I will not lose hope because I'm going to stay in the land of the living. I want to encourage you, this church is the land of the living. If you're going through a season of disappointment and hurt and brokenness and loss, I want to encourage you, put your roots even stronger and deeper in the soil of colonial. 
Trust God. Get yourself connected in a small group. Keep serving. Keep giving. For some of you, you're going for a financial hard time right now. I would encourage you to keep sowing seed. Keep giving. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep confessing, even though you're not seeing it. There are many laws out there which define our lives. But there's no law that's stronger than the law of association. It says this, you become like those you mix with. I've never met anyone's life who's moved forward by pulling back from church. Stay planted. Chantel and I, in 2013, we'd moved back from South Africa and we were making plans to pioneer Soul Church. Lots of people said to me, John, whatever you do, don't go to Norwich. Because Norwich in 2013 at the start was voted. They did, a, they did a, uh, a survey. The number one most godless church in the whole of the UK. Number one. Fewer people were attended church in our city than any other city in the UK. They did another census and it told us that there are more church buildings in our city, actual church buildings than any other city in the world. Those church buildings in our restaurants, cinemas, theaters, clubs, bookstores. So on one hand, we have the most church buildings and on the other hand, we're the most unchurched city in the UK. And God said this to Chantel and I, go and make Norwich the land of the living. Once the land of the living, where the whole city would attend a church. It is now desolate, it is dry, it is thirsty. God is saying, go back. I really believe what's happening in our city is gonna happen here. That this is a thirsty land, this is a dry land, and God is turning it into the land of the living, colonial church. In fact, I see, I see this for this city. This city is known for its history, but it's gonna become known for its future. This city will become known for what God is doing through the church, not just for its history. You can never write off history and we shouldn't, but I believe that this church will put this area on the map, not because of what did happen, but because of what is happening. Well, we hope you got something out of that message. We would really love to connect with you. Why not join us at church on Sundays or connect with us at Colonial Church. Life. We would also love it if you could hit the subscribe button, maybe leave a comment for us or a review to really help us move the ministry of Colonial forward. In Jesus' name, God bless you.